Summer, 2022. The hot sun paints our small, quaint town of Los Angeles, California, a soft, golden amber. We sit back after having just binged the 11-hour season of Stranger Things, tired but eager to get on with the rest of our day. Our friends at the Secondhand Film Critics have found a body, THE body, by Stephen King, to be exact. And we thought it would be fun to compare and contrast it to Rob Reiner's film adaptation, Stand By Me. We've never had any friends later on like the ones we had when we were podcasting. Jesus, <laughs> does anyone? <laughs> Welcome to Film is Lit, the podcast where we take a piece of literature and compare and contrast it to its film or television adaptation. This is a full spoilers podcast. My name is Danny. He, him. I am the self-appointed film expert. My name is Laura Sheher, and I'm the self-appointed lit expert. And today is another excellent episode, a guest episode. We always love those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. And we are, if you couldn't tell from our uh, my brilliant opening that did not take me three hours to write and edit, is we are covering Stephen King's novella, The Body, which came out in 1982, and Rod Reiner's film, Stand By Me, the classic coming-of-age film, which came out in 1986. Again, another spoiler warning, you probably have seen the movie. Uh, most people I know have. But I haven't. What? So No, I've never seen this. Oh, I, I do that. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. So not everybody's seen it. So right. Yeah, full spoilers throughout the episode, just in case. <laughs> yeah. And it is our pleasure to have on as guests the secondhand film critics, Kayla and Noah. I came upon this podcast through our mutual friend, Peter Kohanic. Peter and I, we went to high school and grew up together. So middle school and high school. Um, I had his dad for technology class, uh, and he, cool. yeah, uh, and yeah, he was a guest on one of their episodes, and uh, I was like, these people seem like we have the same film se- and TV sensibilities. We have the same interests. They're pretty cool. So yeah, we befriended through Instagram, and yeah, the rest is history. We were on their podcast, geez, like half a year ago. Talking about yeah, at the very ago. beginning of the year, January, wow. February ish. What did we cover? <laughs> the books. Our, our top four <laughs> books to film adaptations. That's it. Yes, that rings a bell. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, great episode. Yeah. Go check that out. But yeah, let, let's have them do their intros. So, uh, Kayla and Noah, say hi. Hi. Uh, I am Kayla and. I'm very excited about this because I like books and I like movies. So it feels like a perfect combination of the two to come on your podcast. Uh, it feel, it, I, I don't know how you guys do this because it is so much work to read a book and watch the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we watch a lot of movies for ours, but having to do like two formats and we even chose like a very short book and a very short movie um, mm-hmm. for that purpose. But yeah, this has been fun, and I'm excited to chat. Yeah, us too. Yeah, some of the larger books and longer movies take a while. Like, we can't do this podcast weekly. We tried that at first, Uh, um, and we were able to do that because it was the pandemic, um, and we were in quarantine, but then when we returned to work, 
then it started to space out a little bit and now it's pretty um, intense so yeah we're we're getting into a good run here but yeah but thanks for choosing a short book yes thank <laughs> you so i think thanks for choosing this instead of like it which is the oh book is God. i think the audiobook is 42 hours yeah, 42 which is hours oh yeah. my yeah. i can't even like we have had discussions about covering that but i don't think it's no, I think it's totally doable. We just give I mean, ourselves a lot of lead time. It is we, doable. Like, read the book in chunks and then... Yeah. yeah. The question but, is, do you cover the TV miniseries or the two movies, you know, right. or both? You know, yeah. there's yeah, a lot we, of it. There's a lot of it. We did tackle that, right? We went in we chapter did. two came out. I tried to listen to the audiobook and I got like a quarter in and stopped. Um, <laughs> yeah. But we tried. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot of story to go around. Yeah, and well, the funny thing too is like, if I'm gonna do anything that's longer than like 500 pages, it's going to be Stephen King. Like, mm. and we don't have to get into this too much because no, I still want you to like introduce yourself. But for some <laughs> reason, it's like every time I start a Stephen King novel, I'm like, this is long. It's gonna take me forever to read. Like when we started 112263, I was like, mm. oh my god, this is like I started reading it like two months in advance for when we were gonna cover it, and then like mm. three days later, I was like there's there's nothing left like, yeah there's no more book so if it, if we were going to cover anything super long it'd probably be stephen king but stephen king still, will uh, do that to you still gotta like really schedule it out yeah. but anyway noah take it away <laughs> tell us oh, about yeah yourself. i don't have much to take away um yeah i'm <laughs> noah uh he him um yeah i'm excited i i i like reading this is good that we're doing this in the summer because this is when i read the most because mm -hmm. i have the most time to read um and um yeah it's just always interesting to talk about the ways people try to adapt books and like what the purpose of adaptions really are and with Stephen King especially there's so many different kinds of adaptions mm -hmm. and he's a writer that unlike some writers is very opinionated like openly about mm. what he feels about all of his adaptions so he's definitely in the adaption realm one of the, the more interesting people to talk about because his the movies or the shows can be either wildly different or really close like depending on um who directs them and writes them and stuff so yeah i'm really excited to talk about this yeah he's such a prolific writer and one who's almost it seems like every single piece uh that he's written even short stories have been adapted in some form and stand by me is one of the disproportionately few great films in King's mm. staggeringly immense catalog that I think are are truly great. So I have a fun fact about how many movies have been made based on his work. So The Body is technically considered a novella, which again, especially I, I think our version is like 180 pages or something. So like I've read books. Mm -hmm. There's not like a hard definition of a novella, but for mm -hmm. Stephen King, I feel like for him, that's a novella. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but this came out in a collection of four mm -hmm. um, short stories called Different Seasons. And every single one of those short stories was made into a movie, including Shawshank Redemption. Mm, yeah. So that's kind of interesting that like even his shorter novels are all just like very successful. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. saw today Breathing Method. 
they're gonna have scott derrickson direct that apparently which that's kind of cool that would be fun yeah that's i mean i'm a huge derrickson fan so that's great i feel like he gets the right tone that stephen king Mm -hmm. is going for cool yeah no he's just an incredible writer hot take stephen king is i'm good at writing this is the fifth time we're actually talking about stephen king on this podcast we've talked about the shining dr sleep then we did two episodes on eleven twenty two sixty three, which is right. our favorite book. And least favorite show. I don't yeah. know if you're familiar with that show, but <laughs> no, I'm not. No. Don't watch it. Yeah. It's another Stephen King adaptation that fundamentally misunderstands the source material. Which is surprising because King himself was a producer on that show. I don't know what mm. happened. We're I don't know if he really understands it. what makes a good show and movie, in my no. opinion. We'll I talk about that. I completely agree. I, yeah, I think that, that would be a really interesting conversation to have, even though he had a really positive reaction to this movie. Yes. Yeah. So it's like it's like weird that he he feels so emotionally connected with this one, and the movie in particular, and Rob Reiner as the director. But when it comes to Split, like, he hates The Shining. and Yeah, but he, he likes Dr. Sleep. But he likes Dr. Sleep. Which is like, so mind-boggling to me because i thought that one was awful compared to yeah so so did laura we also yeah we talked about that with one of i liked it friends i'm not a huge flanagan fan but i like dr sleep anyways i thought it completely missed the mark yeah there are a few things i I agree with most of your takes on the secondhand film critics but there are a few other takes that i'm the opposite of i'll just say right now scream four is a masterpiece and both of you can fuck right off. Um, all right. So, anyways. Hey, it's better than Scream 5. That's I'll give you that. Yes. yes. Uh, lots uh, of things are better than that. Why is everyone on Letterboxd <laughs> obsessed with Scream 5? I don't know. I have no because idea. It, they, it's like they saw them, like they saw that they referenced probably like Reddit and stuff, and they're like, wow, this is cool. Like this we're part is, of the story now. Yeah, yeah, right. Like that's what I yeah. feel like, but like. Did they think about it a little for? I think it's seconds? also just nostalgia. Yeah, mm. that could be it too. You know, I don't have a lot of nostalgia for Scream, so. Yeah, right. Anyways, so, the body and Stand by Me. So let's do mm. a brief synopsis. So, summer, nineteen fifty nine, outside of Portland, Maine, in the book, and outside of Portland, Oregon, in the movie. So the general um, plot is after learning that a stranger has been accidentally killed near their rural homes, four friends, Gordy, the smart introvert, Chris, the empathic leader of the gang, Teddy, the volatile, angry daredevil, and Vern, the lovable goofball, decide to go see the body. On the way, this group of scrappy friends encounter a mean junkyard man and a marsh full of leeches as they also learn about one another and their very different home lives. Just a lark at first, the boys' adventure evolves into a defining event in their lives. To just go right into why I think this movie is such a classic and so impactful is that we it taps into those nostalgic uh, memories that you have of their childhood where it was a formative experience, where perhaps it was intense, traumatic in the moment, but you leave that maybe a better person or you've grown in some fashion and you'll remember that um, for the rest of your lives. So it, it taps into a very universal feeling. And that's why I think coming of age movies, there's so many of them that people consider classics or so many that are comfort movies. 
But let's get into our personal journeys with the novella and the movie. So Noah, why don't you start us off? What was your first exposure with this material? So I didn't have much exposure to it, actually, as a kid. You know, growing up in a very conservative and like Christian household, you know, there's swear words in this movie. So mm. yeah, that's kind of illegal. Um, <laughs> so I think the first time I watched this was, yeah, in 2019, um, which was kind of cool, though, because we I'm sure we'll talk in some length about the soundtrack. But mm, yeah. th- this like this, I was old enough then to at least know like all the songs, too. So like that was pretty cool because like I was able to get more of the references in that and like sink into the time period. Um, And then, I mean, the first time reading it was for this. I don't know. I think I knew it was a book and I knew it was Stephen King. So yeah, but I just never read it until now. So yeah, I don't really have that many interesting stories about this one. So I'm hoping we got more interesting stories coming because that's (laughs) not great for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Kayla, how about you? Um, Yeah, I didn't watch it either growing up. I think I was familiar with what it was, but I it was never one that I was allowed to watch, um, which is funny because my mom just told me that she saw it when it was in the theaters. Um, mm. and Iconic, so like, honestly. Oh, yeah. darn. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so we were never really allowed to watch movies that had a lot of language in it either. So I didn't watch this until 2019 or 2020 on IMDb TV free, <laughs> which is now known as Freebie. Um, wow, what a downgrade. <laughs> so Everyone's yeah. favorite streaming service. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so that was the first time that I had watched it. And then when we were looking through kind of things to do for this episode... I was like, oh, that's one that I feel like is short and we would actually enjoy. Like one that is a movie I think we would all actually like and want to talk about instead Mm -hmm. of it being a movie that's like, oh, we only kind of half like it. Um, Mm. Because it just feels very like generally loved by a lot of people. Or at least everyone has a, uh, at least a semi good to great opinion of this movie. Mm. yeah no i can't think of anyone who's like stand by me sucks (laughs) yeah it's it's just a pleasing a pleasant time which is funny because it's actually dealing with some very intense themes of like abuse and and childhood trauma death of course by our our main character um gordy his brother he's dealing with uh, grief and depression Mm -hmm. so yeah Laura? Yeah, I have, I mean, again, I do not have a long relationship with the source material. <laughs> like, I just watched it the other night. Uh, I believe we found it on some free streaming service Tubi. Well. Tubi. Ah, uh, yes, Tubi. That's, that, Tubi. That is, Tubi's good. Tubi's a good Tubi yeah. has um, so much great content, not gonna lie. Yeah, it's Definitely. really surprising, and we're not sponsored by them, but... Um, That'd be dope, though. Oh, no. Please sponsor us, yeah. Tubi. Yeah, um, please, secondhand film critics, film is lit, we're looking for sponsors, we're open to anything. Um, but we found it on Tubi via Just Watch, which is a yeah. movie, or a content locator website website and again we're not sponsored but if anyone needs to find a a show or a movie really quickly you can just type it into this website and it'll pop up with where you can stream it either free or if you have to pay for it but it's really nice you don't have to google like where can i watch stand by me free streaming (laughs) yeah uh, just watch will show you yeah 
where you can rent it, how much it is, where yeah. you can buy it, and where you can stream it for Danny, free. Danny, yeah. I don't, I know you were talking about Letterbox Pro. I, I also, I don't know if you know, but Letterbox Pro integrates Just Watch into the app. Oh, so it shows it right on the film page. Just okay. another perk for you there, if you want. I, I think about I'll, it. I'll shelve out the however much it costs per month. <laughs> I mean, in this economy, who knows? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You gotta, you gotta cut costs, yeah. Yeah. but it's that one's to... worth it. <laughs> that one's worth it yeah anyway um, sorry i just had to so, remember to mention that well exactly yeah i was gonna give our little our listeners a little you know movie tips um yeah. so we watched it on tubi and i had the experience of seeing an older movie being referenced in my own mind after watching some stuff i'm like oh my mm. gosh like that's where i know this beat from or that's where i know this archetype from or this line from and so I wrote a few things down that I was noticing while it went through so like I was very surprised to realize that I feel like the Sandlot is like you can argue is a complete homage to this movie just the way that they talk the time period the dog chase like there's so many things that I'm the like voiceover, the, the voiceover the book bookends yeah um like the 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 main character gets a hat, you know, a special hat from someone he sees as like a brother. Well, so and just very similar is, leads too. Yeah, very similar. I mean, yes. even just in in looks and like dress, like the the ter- the shirt tucked into the jeans, like that's the whole thing for the main character in the Sandlot. So that was really fun to, for me to see. It also reminded me of, of course, we've already talked about Stranger Things, but there are so many parallels, obviously, with like like train track scenes, dialogue, relationship between the young characters and like, you know, being a coming of age story, but also being very dark. Like, oh, and another fun fact that I found out uh, through an interview with Will Wheaton that I watched is that the Duffer brothers used lines from Stand By Me to audition some of the kids who were then cast in Stranger Things to get a good gauge for Mm. their relationship between each other. And I was like, wow, like that is just another example of how special I think this movie is to a certain generation. And I think it's because Rob Reiner just really understood not only the the fictional world that Stephen King created for this show or for this book, but also the autobiographical pieces that he integrated. And he just he just ran with that. So I think it's a really like I came out of this being like, wow, I wish I had grown up on it. I feel like I'll probably mm. show it to our kids because mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's definitely like a formative, formative movie. And I think it, it teaches kids to be vulnerable in their mm-hmm. relationships. So it's just mm-hmm. a beautiful, I could talk about it all day and I will, I will talk about it. All day. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it, but yeah, I watched it a couple days ago. Awesome. Well, I have a slightly longer journey. So mine starts with a 2001 film called Kangaroo Jack. Oh, man, that movie rocks. Yes. Um, which. <laughs> wow. That movie yeah. is sick. Yes. Um, I know. Yeah, the actor. Yeah. Wow, yeah. So crazy. Jerry O'Connell, adult Jerry O'Connell oh, is in that. Of uh, and when I saw that in first grade, I'm like, Kangaroo Jack, my favorite movie ever. <laughs> that was my Nothing, favorite movie, too. This is That's the crazy. Height of cinema yeah (laughs) Um, i'm like nothing gets better than this then later on there was a show on vh1 called i love the 80s now i was obsessed with this show because i had no my parents it's not like they kept their pasts 
from me but it's like i had no i didn't know what the 80s was like in a pop culture sense at all other than mm. films and so this was a glimpse into that world and i was just absolutely mesmerized by that show just learning stuff uh, for the first time and my parents didn't show me stand by me for whatever reason and i was shocked to both see stills of that film and video of that film but also to see young jerry o'connell from yeah. my favorite movie portly chubby kid funny the comic relief i did not accept that they were the same person <laughs> younger and older granted he did get some work done on his face like did he really yes uh, like cheek yeah he looks a lot implants. different in kangaroo jack i feel like like oh, it looks yeah. very different gosh that's so interesting but he is uh, i mean i think he's a handsome man regardless of you know the work done uh but anyways yeah. <laughs> um i mean but like in kangaroo jack he's like the heartthrob so yeah, it's right. like a, it's it's hard it's hard it's a weird change to think about in Stand well, By Me, he's a completely different guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's like the butt of the joke. But I was going to point out, too, that his brother, Charlie, actually was on Bachelorette and is still married to the mm -hmm. woman that he met on Bachelorette. And wow. so I like they're very they're obviously objectively attractive. Men yes, because <laughs> they're, yeah. they're mm -hmm. starring in good in genes. Objectively, yeah. Good yeah. Genes. <laughs> so I was fascinated by this movie and then i didn't get around to saying it until my freshman year of high school my girlfriend at the time showed me the film it was her favorite film i'm i watched it, i'm like this is this is great i wish i wish i'd seen this as a younger mm. kid perhaps i would have learned some life lessons yeah i feel like on. we all wished we watched it earlier yes. yeah. <laughs> um yeah and learned later on that it was a stephen king adaptation wasn't really a big reader until this podcast i've been reading so much again this is the fifth stephen king thing that we're doing so i'm always impressed with his writing i think yeah. the thing he does best is vivid imagery specifically mm -hmm. like characterizations like th the yeah. little quirks that people do that are unique to people uh, and of mm -hmm. course a lot of his books are fictional so He's completely making this up, but it, they feel like yeah. actual real people, which is such a hard thing to do. Anyone who writes anything can tell you that. So I loved the novella. I listened to it. Uh, it was a quick... I uh, believe Stephen King reads the novella, right? Or did you listen to that? Uh, the one I listened to on YouTube, it was, if it was free on YouTube, actually, it's about five hours. It was another guy. I... It, the name escapes me at the moment, but yeah. Well, I was, I was going to say something about how he does characterization. So if you read his book that came out in the nineties called on writing, mm -hmm. he discusses his approach because he was an English teacher before he became a very much like Jack in the shining. Um, he was an English teacher. And so he's very aware of the mechanics of his craft. Mm -hmm. And he talks specifically about how to create characters through dialogue and that's so yeah a, like so clear with this book and with all of his books too but i i love that specifically they're all from maine so a lot of them have that like northeastern mm -hmm. maine accent i think that goes he talks like if you can do anything like even if you're misspelling words even if your your grammar is off or if the you know it sounds weird or if it looks weird on the page like you can do a lot with dialogue 
Mm -hmm. right? Like I love, and he even talks about how you can like integrate socioeconomics into people's characters through dialogue. Instead Mm -hmm. of saying someone has like a dirty t-shirt, he can write one line of dialogue to make you understand like, oh, this person isn't very well educated. And I Mm -hmm. think this is like a perfect example of that. Like these kids talk so much like little kids and they interact so much like little kids that I don't think the the script had to be tweaked very much because the kids are just like naturally like picking up on that from the script from the text yeah yeah I was gonna say that same thing before you kind of said it which I didn't know that but yeah he's like good at making you really visualize characters without descriptors like and Mm -hmm. I hate descriptors I hate them yeah um so and in doing that allows the story to like just keep moving forward and not just like get stuck in two pages of description before the story can actually get going like so there's always the momentum in the story which i think you really feel in this one because it's so short like it's Mm -hmm. always moving forward um and you just kind of like get the visualizations like just from the story itself rather than he's like stopping the story to tell you like all right this is what these guys look like now (laughs) yeah that's a really good point yeah a lesser writer would go into these long diatribes and interruptions Mm. into flashbacks but the flashbacks here both especially in the movie are very abbreviated you get as soon as you get the point you get back to the main story well that's a that's a change we could talk about a little bit the movie integrates flashbacks of Mm. uh will wheaton's character gordy his older brother who was yeah. played by a very young John Cusack, which was a surprise to me. That was kind yeah, of, yeah. what intense. a, what a great role just jumps yeah. in there. Yeah. And Man. he has like two or three flashback scenes, but it's so yeah. lovely and it, mm-hmm. it makes his death so much more tragic. And especially when he gives Gordy that New York Yankees hat mm-hmm. and the hat is then stolen and you never see the hat again, that, alone thinking about that scene makes me cry <laughs> like mm-hmm. yeah yeah because I, I in the book that's like the thing that i like the m- more about the movie than the book is how they do deal with that and because in the book i think mm-hmm. it's more sad because his parents are ignoring him you know like that's mm-hmm. where like the source of sadness comes from there which is fine like either way it gets the job done but i think it's maybe more impactful to have like the emotional connection to the brother because then you feel bad for him basically in both ways because he lost his brother and now yeah. his parents are ignoring him too. So like, I think, and that's something where the movie, they can really do that fast because they cast like an actor that everyone loves and mm-hmm. he's just being really nice. Um, and yeah, they can make you care about it like instantly, basically. Yeah. I was just going to kind of add to that, that I think the emotional, it gives the emotional crisis that Will Wheaton, or I keep saying Will, but Gordy has at the end where he is talking about like how sad he is and not only just for losing his brother, but also about his parents' abuse. Um, I think it gives it even more like weight because mm. you did get the, the development of that relationship, which is by the way, very similar to the relationship between Will and um, what's his name? Jonathan. Things. Yeah. When he was giving him the hat, I was like, Oh, it's like Will and Jonathan mm. in like season one or end of, yeah. beginning of season two or whatever, when they have that moment with ACDC. Um, right. The clash. The clash. Oh, they play the clash. That's in the season end. one. Yeah. The clash. Yeah. Okay. I love the clash. Big clash. Fan. Yeah. Yeah, that scene is so touching, Yeah, you know? And, like, I, I get that mm-hmm. emotional weight from this, whereas, like you are saying with the book, I think it's more of, like, they're so far in age that mm. it's more of, like, 
that was an icon. And the only way that this is affecting me is because my parents ignore me. It was almost Mm. more of a like, oh, like we didn't have a relationship. Yeah, he was more confused because like he Mm. felt like he didn't really know his brother. So he's like, Mm. how should I grieve for someone who's related to me, who's a big part of my life, but I wasn't close with in the Mm. way that I should be. Mm. Yeah. Which is which is another like good conversation. But I think yeah. for the emotional weight of the movie, it totally changes it when you have that more developed. So anyway, good call, Rob Reiner. <laughs> yeah, and Rob Reiner has said in interviews that he wanted to make the movie more about Gordy, where the book was Gordy was still arguably the main character, but it was more about the four boys where... Mm-hmm. Gordy's kind of front and center. Yeah, I would argue the book is 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 about Gordy, but it actually feels like Gordy is telling like Chris's story more. Mm-hmm. In yeah, the book. like whereas I think you get that in the movie, but it's definitely more Gordy's like movie, and then Chris mm-hmm. is like his friend. You know, mm-hmm. so that's what I felt like a little bit. Definitely. Uh, one thing that I that's obviously interesting in the book is that you can tell that it's being told from the adult perspective. So, like, Mm. there's a lot of things about how he feels like he's losing himself. So there was this line that said on page 90. "Um, These days I sometimes look at this typewriter and wonder when it's going to run out of good words. And I think it shows a lot more from the book that he is writing this because he feels like almost he's kind of losing his connection to life because all he has is writing and Mm. so he's trying to relive you know the best Mm -hmm. days of his life i guess but i like he's out of stories he's got to go back yeah he's got to go back if you're out of stories then do this one so Mm -hmm. and i like obviously that's something that's very hard to translate to a movie so i appreciate Mm. that in the translation they add that scene at the end of him with his Mm. kid instead of being like uh, almost realizing as he's caught up in that and he writes the line about being 12 he kind of is like oh my kid is 12 and he wants to go to the pool and so Mm. sort of like i I like how that it's not exactly the same but Mm. that they sort of did their own way of translating how he feels as an adult, like looking back and rewriting this kind of putting this on paper sort of. Yeah. That's a really good point. I, I think what you pointed out about him not having much left other than writing in the book gives the book a a really sad tone. And Mm. it, it makes like when you're done, it makes you feel concerned like oh gosh like what else does this guy have right like if this is if he feels like this is the last story like what's his next step but in the movie you get oh with which is a a young richard dreyfus Dreyfus, yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. um he it gives him a little bit more of like a future because Mm -hmm. he does have something else and he recognizes that he needs to be a better adult in the world that his kid and his kids friends live in and exist in mm. because that's another huge theme in this book is how like sort of the, that classic like disillusionment of the american dream like there are no stable adults in the book to help any of these children deal with like the massive emotional trauma that they all clearly have mm. But in the movie, we get that kind of like he's learned from it and he can like he doesn't have to perpetuate the cycle of trauma. He can 
give back because he learned something when he was a kid. Right. Yeah. And you have that real life aspect of the novella where Stephen King's three of his childhood friends did pass away tragically, just like in, in the novella later on, Vern dies in a house fire, Teddy in a car crash, Chris being stabbed in the throat, trying to stop an altercation. So just like the writer in the novella and movie are kind of working through and learning through trauma uh, through uh, writing this, Stephen King is also kind of like coming to terms with those people in, in his life and like realizing that this is important, but kind of the bigger theme of both the novella and the movie is that people change and, and that's okay. Relationships bloom and, and wither and that's also okay. And if we try to too hard to hold on to the past, we'll be pulled into it ourselves. And um, yeah, so Rob Reiner thought it was a little too harsh to have the three kids die. So he made, I think the wise decision to just have Chris uh, be the one who tragically dies. It's even more tragic knowing that River Phoenix passed away at the age of 23. Mm-hmm. That's kind of another thing that really makes this movie um, hit home. And, yeah, and all what... the kids have a really dark past in real life. Like, um, yeah. yeah, obviously River Phoenix died when he was really young, but like all of them had like very middling, yeah. I would say, relationships with fame when they were children. Yeah, and they blew up. <laughs> yeah, and Corey yeah. Feldman had a real life tumultuous relationship with his dad and will wheaton too i think he was forced by his parents to be a performer so yeah a lot a lot of the research that i did with this episode was just watching interviews because it's one of those things like everybody talks to all of these actors about their experiences on this set and so i i just watched a lot of interviews and will wheaton in particular i have never really it had interactions with or whatever. Um, I'm not really familiar with his work, but after watching his interviews about mental health and like normalizing being on antidepressants and, you know, struggling through chronic depression and anxiety, I was really impressed by the way that he has become a figurehead for those issues like i'm i'm very impressed and and unfortunately on the other side of that i think you see someone like Corey feldman who still struggles with drug addiction and alcohol Mm -hmm. he's kind of a kind of a character and i think like it's yeah it's interesting just to see like the fallout of the fame that this Mm. this movie brought to all these young actors um on the other side of that is jerry o'connell who just looks like he's always having a good time yeah (laughs) yeah He's fine. I think he should be in more stuff. I don't know why he isn't, but yeah, he's having. Well, once you are in Kangaroo Jack, there's not a lot of. Yeah, there's no going. Yeah. What do you do after that? So he, I don't know if either of you are familiar with this show, but there's a show that nobody knows about. It came out in like 2014 as a web series on Yahoo. So. Wow. Very, very obscure, but it's called Burning Love. And it's a parody of The Bachelor and Bachelorette's uh, like franchises. Oh. And he, Jerry O'Connell, is hilarious as one of the bachelors vying for Julie's heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and and a lot of the people from I Love the Eighties, like Michael Ian Black, is in it. Oh, all the people from 
Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah, all of those actors. It's like very early stuff that they wrote together and then did like 10 minute web series episodes. And it's hilarious. That was the first thing that I ever saw Jerry O'Connell in. And then even like before we started watching the movie, Danny was like, oh, that's the guy in Burning Love. I was like, mind blown. Like, and, and I started seeing his little, like his eyes, the way his eyes move. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like, so that was really yeah. fun. But if you want to, if you want to check that out, I think you can find it online somewhere um, and watch a little more of his work. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Vern, we can kind of pivot to that. So I think in the movie, they add um, an aspect to his character. He's much more of a comic relief. Yeah in the movie as opposed to the novella he's also they make him a pudgy uh in the film which he's not described that way in the book he in the book he's described as having like a full head of hair and and bad teeth and the whole this whole thing about the comb and he's like i brought the comb it was that was it fully invented for the movie so he's he is so funny uh in the film our favorite scene is when they're taking turns doing the night watch and he has the gun and (laughs) every single noise I mean, the comedic timing in that is yeah, incredible. Really and lucky. he commits to that, too. It doesn't look like he's just doing a bit. Like, he commits. Like, he's so scared. Yeah. And him going behind the tree and then his hands popping out with a gun. <laughs> I mean, that is that is like expertly done. Yeah. And so you gain such a sense of sadness when they're on the train tracks and the train's coming and he's just frozen and, and not yeah. moving. And uh, it's a great scene in the novella, but in the movie, I mean, that's one of the most classic scenes in an already classic movie. Mm-hmm. I, I just love that part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I watched another interview with Jerry O'Connell about that scene. And I think one of the interviewers asked, like, how did you get your face to look so seriously scared? And as a, he's being interviewed as a little kid, and he's like, so actually, I just watched, or I just thought of a nightmare that I used to have uh, when I was a kid, and he's only like twelve years old. So yeah, what I, oh, so yeah. He's like, huh? he's like, I used to have this recurring nightmare where my closet would eat me. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh my gosh, you're so cute. Like you're really, he really embodied that character. I think there's another scene right after um, Corey Feldman's character. What's his name again? Teddy. Teddy. He mm. kind of plays chicken with the train, which I think is, again, like a really sadly realistic portrayal of what that child actor was going through at the time, too, like sort of daring death. But after that scene ends and they're running across the field, um, Vern trips. (laughs) And I'm almost certain that that wasn't scripted. He just like completely like just completely spread eagle (laughs) trips and and his uh, little satchel goes rolling. And I was just I was dying. He's such a little cutie. Yeah, well, because in, in the book, too, it's a lot more internal, so you don't really need the characters to be as defined. Like, they're defined, I think, all three, all four of them, but it's, I think, mostly focused on Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, like, and I think Vern and Teddy are more, like, just in the, they're more definitely more in the background, but in the movie, because they're all in the frame, and they're the only four characters in the movie, really. They all need to have their own personality. So I think it was smart to, like, characterize them a little bit more and also mm-hmm. differentiate them from each other so they're not all, like, the same person. They're all... They all are very different. Um, mm-hmm. Where in the book, it's like, you don't... This is because of the format. It doesn't need that. So you don't mm-hmm. notice it. But then if it was in the movie, and I think Vern was just, like, another kid 
I think you would notice it a lot more like, oh, there's these three and then this one guy that's just like here. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's good they gave him his own personality for sure. Yeah. yeah. Will Wheaton's kind of vacant looks as he's coming back from reminiscing about his times with Denny, I think is a very accurate portrayal of grief or of like working mm. through grief. And as you learn from the end of the movie is like this story is about Gordy working through, um, working through that grief and not necessarily accept it, but to know that like, it's okay to, to feel sad that way. I think he, he really portrays that um, pathos effectively. And then similarly, River Phoenix is great at conveying the sadness of not having any control in his life and of having people label him one way and being unable to break yeah. out of that mold. It's it's two very different forms of sadness, but done expertly well. That's why like people always wonder what a director does. And it's like, that is exactly what they do. They mold the performances. To, they get it out of the actor to like convey exactly what the script is calling for. So... Yeah, what a talent River Phoenix was. And Will Wheaton, of course, too. Mm-hmm. Will Wheaton's doing more audiobook reading. And he oh. does a lot of writing, too. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah. He's, a, he's a huge writer. Uh, yeah, but he he read uh, The Martian. He reads The Martian. Oh. Oh, and Ready Player One. Fun. Oh, that's wow. so cool. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. What a great way to just make, a little, make some money. Man, yeah. that sounds like fun. Yes, actually, um, that's a really good point. <laughs> yeah, I think... With the performances, I mean, that's obviously, I think, the thing people talk about most from the movie or, like, sticks with people most because they're all four so different and, mm-hmm. um, like, strong. What's interesting going back, like, it's because, like, now I think good child actor performances are the more reserved ones. That's what people kind of have yeah. been that, – that's how it is right now, I guess. Um, and but it's interesting in the 80s and like this time it's definitely they definitely were just leaning more theatrical uh, and like more over than over the top than under you know and so I it's interesting to kind of like compare because like if this movie was made today I think the performances would have been so much different more different because like I don't just like the way movies are made and the way that performances the directors want are so different now so and think in the beginning going into this movie in like the scene in the the treehouse, it kind of like took me a second to get into it because it was the the tone of the performances and the pacing is feels so different than I think contemporary movie. Not that it's aged different badly, but I think like it just feels like of a certain period. So I think that's one interesting thing. It's like a time capsule of like this type of child actor performance, and all four of them are doing it like the best that they can. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's one interesting thing. Like if this was ever going to be made again like that I think they would have to it would be a lot different because I think like this wouldn't play as well now if this came out with actors that came that were today well and just in general coming of age films are so different now like this Mm -hmm. is so simple Mm -hmm. like everything Mm -hmm. about it is just so simple and easy like obviously there's bigger scenes like the train sequence and and such but I feel like so much of it is pared down from what we would see if this movie was like made today i feel like if it were made today they would feel it it needed to have like more action or more stuff going on like it wouldn't just be 
the story like speaking for itself well like you said stranger things is basically yes this yeah. and like they can't make i mean and this isn't a knock against stranger things because i love stranger things but like they need to make stranger things and to have that those characters and that dynamic they also need to have it be like a horror thriller and so mm -hmm. maybe they would make it like a demogorgon killed the body and they have to find yeah. the body like it's like that's the kind of like now they need to mix genres more they that's yes. what people like so like yeah i yeah. think that's also why it feels different because it is so grounded um no what uh, netflix reality. is looking for writers for season five <laughs> hey I think, you, I think you have a future there <laughs> no i this i really love this conversation because i think it points out a really interesting time that the 80s was to make movies and mm -hmm. i think children actors since the beginning of film were not taken very seriously mm. you know and they were kind of like plugged in as like you know like shirley temple sure and people judy who garland. were kind of judy garland that's a re another really good example mm. like they were not respected i think they were treated as like they were supposed to act as adults but they were mm. never given the respect or the leeway to be just like children i think that's still a problem now but i feel like the 80s like we were talking about et before we started recording and we start seeing these like really wonderful child actors who are given the these roles where it's like they're not only acting like they're going through a coming of age story but yeah. they're also doing that themselves and i feel like this movie is such a perfect example of that and the other thing that I wanted to say, too, about the ending, the book kind of suggests that the kid has been murdered. And mm. I think it was probably the right choice in this movie to just have him. It's pretty clearly like, you know, unfortunately, it was a train accident. He was, you know, wrong place, wrong time, hit by a train. I don't think there's kind of that, like, nefarious mm. undertone that there is at the end of the book, which is kind of very Stephen King. Yeah. Right. But I, I think it was probably the right, like you were saying, could just like, there needed to be a little bit more lightness because as much as it is just sort of a, like a hangout movie, like the whole premise is that they're going to find a dead body. Like, Yeah. Um, it's when you really look at it from the outside, it is kind of like a funny, weird story. Just hmm. four kids go see a dead body and then leave. And that's yeah. it. But of course it's much richer than that. But it speaks to how kids are. Like, kids do that weird yeah. stuff all the time. Like, they're fascinated by death. They, I can see four kids making the 20-mile trek. Yeah. And not understanding the depth of what they're going to right. interact with when they finally see this, this body. And that's the whole reason that, like, even the teenagers who are set up to be kind of like the mean semi-adults like they don't even know what to do with this dead body. And and that's even more, I think, telling because all of the teenagers, Kiefer Sutherland being one. <laughs> um, Ace. Yeah. Jack Bauer. Um, Crazy. Like they, great, great performance. Great, yeah. great performance. Like awesome. he really scares me. Like when they're doing the chicken, playing chicken with the truck, I'm like, holy shit. Like he's yeah. not moving. Yeah. But like they're always talking up how violent they are and like how like macho and carving the name of their oh, group yeah. into their arms which is uh yeah, yeah which was a creation of the movie yeah um mm. like they they can't even t 
touch the body. They can't even, like, they can't even tell the police where the body is because it's, I think, like, nobody knows what to do with it when they mm. finally actually discover it. So I think, again, like, the the beauty of this movie being made during this time period is that these child actors get, like, the respect that they deserve to just, like, be themselves very naturally as, like, 11 to 17-year-olds, which I think is how old they were. Yeah, so in the story, there are supposed to be 12, and they were all 12, save for River Phoenix, who was 14 yeah. when they filmed it. 14 yeah. going on 15. Yeah. Which yeah. works, because he's supposed to feel like the yeah. oldest, even, you know, like, that's kind of his character. So, yeah, that works. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. When he breaks down about the teacher stealing the lunch money, mm. gosh, what yeah. a scene. It's so sad. Yeah. Yeah. Poor kid. Yeah. You know Ethan Hawke edition for that too. He was like the other person. That would been crazy. That would been a crazy. He would have been uh, good at that too. Change. Yeah. I, he would have. Yeah. Well, and that's like part of the turning point too. Like you said, like child actor, like because he was in Explorers and then with River Phoenix, he was, and then Dead Poets later. So oh. like this is definitely like the time where that's their stories are being, I guess, taken more seriously. And because they are, they have to hire actors that are able to portray those stories. Yeah, it's not like, like you're just taking them. the next cute cute kid anymore. Yeah. Or like uh, the director's kid or something like they used to do. <laughs> Apart right. from like, yeah. obviously, like there were talented kids like Shirley Temple and stuff. Right. Um, but it, it is like there's actually kids that want to act and like do acting at this point that are like auditioning to want to be in these things. So it, it changes the game for sure. And there's also that, like, again, behind a lot of these actors that were in the movie, there's a lot of the parents who, ironically, I think, mirror the adults that Stephen King and Rob Reiner can identify in this industry. But also, again, just like in small town America, mm. that like, these adults are toxic. And I think, what, three of the four young men in this movie were um, emancipated themselves early from their parents because they were forced to be child actors because their parents saw an opportunity that they could exploit. Yeah. So it's really interesting that like all of these boys were mm. going through that, you know. Yeah, that... R River Phoenix was in a cult. Well, yeah, he exactly. Yeah. 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 Not because he wanted to. Right, yes, were... <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> we're a little kooky. Yeah, he didn't and... choose it. Yeah, right. Important exactly, yeah. So, yeah, it's just interesting like to see the... That the like the the fallout of having mm. not supportive adults in your life, and then being able to like be vulnerable with your friends, like ah oh, yeah, and the kids feel like kids in that they yeah. swear, and they sometimes <laughs> are bad with swearing, are bad with their inappropriate insults. Mm -hmm. uh, oh yeah, you wrote down that one. That was really funny. Like oh yeah, suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Yeah, <laughs> so cute. Uh, 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 great quote. Yeah, I use that all I, the time, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just the fact that the movie's rated R, I forget that. You mm. think it, since it's a coming-of-age story that everyone loves, you think naturally that it's PG or G. Well, like Sandlot is yeah. PG. Yeah, right? Right. Like, I feel like Sandlot is stand-by-me light. Yeah. You know, like very similar relationships, very similar sort of coming of age story but there's not a dead body in the junkyard <laughs> yeah they don't show it yeah mm. yeah well and that this was, was like a crazy for the for the time too because like i think they were pretty worried about they had a hard time selling this i'm pretty sure mm. and the fact too that they made it rated r 
was like yeah. pretty bold. It, it, and it, but it work paid paid off. It got fifty two million on an eight million dollar budget. Like so, I think if this had done bad, maybe like we would have everything. We would have had like none of the coming of age movies that we love now that right. came out after this because like this yes. is a pretty big swing to have yeah. like just four kids in a movie rated R. Yeah, they were going for it. Right, yeah. yeah. We and might not have had a Princess Bride because that came out in 87. Mm. And Rob Reiner yes. probably would have been teed up for that, but he was really successful and given an opportunity after this. Yeah, yeah. Let's address that. Hold on to that. So, yeah, Embassy Pictures at the last minute sold the script to Columbia. And it was Norman Lear, who we have mm. to thank for fronting most of the $8 million budget, who's a f- friends with Rob Reiner. So, that's the. Uh, Rob Reiner had directed before this. He was mostly known as an actor for All in the Family, but he did done This Is Spinal Tat, which was not a hit. Uh, it was, became a cult favorite that it is today, later on. But yeah, it's all all came down to Norman Lear taking a chance. And as we said earlier, Stephen King, who's very vocal about his adaptations as movies apparently according to rob reiner has said that this is one of his favorite adaptations mm-hmm. that no director has come this close to adapting his work as perfectly as rob reiner did and stephen king loved it so much that they formed castle rock the mm-hmm. production uh company where rob reiner later directed misery mm-hmm. which is yeah, yeah. <gasps> This is Another a crazy five movies. movie run because he got yes. Stand By Me, Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, Misery, and then A Few Good Men. And then he yeah. had yeah. North, which, you know, North yeah. was, was that, rough. Like, but got to be one of the best movie runs like of it's all crazy. time. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, your your parents didn't show you Princess Bride either when you were a kid. What the they fuck? didn't. What do they have against really? Rob yeah, Reiner? That's actually pretty, that's, that's actually pretty that crazy. That is so funny because that Isn't movie insane. is like... Uh, the homeschool the movie. homeschool movie it is so mm. for us princess bride was like if you Sacred were a homeschooled text. kid it's literally like staple material for homeschool that is families. so interesting why do you think that is <laughs> like it's just like a fun like clean movie i but guess it kind so of isn't at some points it's so weird they just pick yeah, movies that are like this know. is the one that we're watching yeah sure. the youth group movie that is like literally the homeschool like it apart from narnia lord of the rings like stuff that's religious based yeah princess bride is like i mean i've seen that movie so many times it's unreal Mm -hmm. yeah now it's greatest showman but it was princess bride for us greatest showman i think is their movie now yeah that's a good point (laughs) they've gotten their hands on greatest showman (laughs) yeah (laughs) anyway that's so funny yeah, no, it's it's pretty insane to look at what Rob Reiner was able to develop after um, after yeah. this movie, and now he's known to the uh, the younger millennials as Jess's dad in New Girl. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> gotta love that. Great up. role, great performance by him. He's such, yeah. such so a great funny. role. I forgot um, about when, that. <laughs> yeah, when he popped up on that show, because I only watched that recently, and he popped up as Jess's dad, I was like this is crazy and then uh jamie lee curtis popped up as her mom and i was like this is yeah. this show is so funny they have such great chemistry but anyway we're getting off um he's still doing amazing stuff which is yeah he's like well, 75 he's still right? working a lot yeah but he has his movies have kind of petered off mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of quality at least in my opinion he hasn't he i mean i don't know if this is was a choice but he's 
pivoted to kind of rom-coms kind of your generic rom-coms that fan don't of the bucket list with jack nicholson and morgan freeman <laughs> come on what about you know, that one <laughs> danny's backtracking you know that is on my bucket list to watch the bucket list. <laughs> i haven't seen it i just yeah i'm looking uh, at the only the one the i've time. seen in his filmography past like his flipped. early movies is flipped yeah his only his only writing credit after Spinal Tap, which I thought was wow. really not good. Um, oh, so rough. If it wasn't for North, his run would have continued with the American President, which mm-hmm. I watched. I had to watch in um, AP Gov, and then later on uh, the next year in high school uh, for current events. We what we I had to watch that two years in a row. So that's that was a big part of my high school experience so that that's really interesting because i was going to bring that up i randomly i think when netflix was still doing like disc like sending out discs mm, and stuff yes. right love it. um so i somehow like maybe my mom was like oh i loved this movie when it came out or something and so i we rented this and she showed it to me i really liked it i i would have to rewatch it to see if it kind of um aaron sorkin up, but yeah. Speaking of score, we also talked about your episode on scores, and the score to the American president is really good. And I listen to that when I study or if I have to like work or something like that. Um, Danny, I think Danny's pulling up the composer. Sleepless in Seattle score he did. He did the North score. Look at that. Um, yeah, he's done oh, a lot yeah. of stuff. Wow. So if you if you're interested in finding another like pretty good um, score. This guy, Mark Shaman, Shyman. Yeah. Um, the American president is really good. And this is super random, but this is how well I know like the score. I listen to it so often. When um, California Adventure opened, so we're talking like a long time ago, I went to Soarin' Over California and I'm in the lobby, like waiting in line. I start hearing this theme and I'm like, why does this sound familiar? And it is the opening theme from the American president. <laughs> I was like, this is so random. Like, how does Disney own the rights to this, yeah, to this score? That is um, weird. Wow. But it like plays. I, I don't even think that Soaring Over California is there anymore. I think they changed the ride. Um, but they used to play it in the lobby of Soaring Over California. Um, cool. It's, it's, again, super random anecdote. But that's a good score if you want to look it up. That is a deep pull. <laughs> Really yeah man. wow <laughs> we went we fell down the rob reiner rabbit hole but it happens to everyone yeah right the next big change between the source material and the film that i wanted to touch upon so we don't forget is stud city so yes in the novella there's a a diversion there's another story called stud city which is a fairly graphic story written by the narrator when he was in college and describes a young woman, a young man uh, taking the virginity of a girl and then arguing with his father and stepmother. The story was included to show, I guess, the immaturity in some of the narrator's early published writing and the narrator even admits after the story of the shortcomings of his own writing to show like how he has grown and how he integrated the feelings and lingering Mm. effects of his brother's death uh, into his writing at first and how while he was working through his grief it came out in maybe some inappropriate ways but when i first was listening to the story 
since I was listening to it for free mm. on YouTube, I had thought that at first that this was a different story <laughs> completely. And I'm like, wait a second, is this right? And I like, skipped forward and then it was the story again. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I went back. It was all a whole thing. As with all of Stephen King's writing, it's great to hear him tell stories. You're hearing it through his character of Gordon mm. talking about the writing process. So it's even meta like that. So I just wanted yeah. to, it, that's, that's not in the movie at all. I don't know how they would have integrated it because it's yeah, quite it the diversion. Yeah, it definitely would not have fit the, yeah. the tone. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it would have been very jarring. And they already have the one story mm-hmm. um, where it like goes to a different time. So it's like, it would. I think it would have been weird in the movie to do that twice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that was a good decision to cut that. Not that I don't like it, but movie wise, I don't think it would have worked. Yeah. I think, I think that's a, an argument to read Stephen King's book on writing because he does that. It's so interesting. Like you were saying to like watch him analyze his own writing. Mm hmm. But we can also talk about the campfire story that Gordy yes, tells, which is hilarious. Like I, mm. I had fun reading that when it was in the book, but watching it is so much fun. It's so gross. And I think the change in tone between that little almost vignette and the mm. rest of the movie is so indicative of how much I think Rob Reiner got into the mindset of being young and telling like a really gross like Mm. story where someone like throws up five apple or five blueberry pies and then everyone else in the room throws up after that like i think that's such a fun it could be jarring like if he had done it wrong um i think it could have been like what the heck is this like you know kind of like a whiplash in tone but i think it's so perfectly filmed (laughs) Yeah, yeah. it's tough to both watch and read yeah, that scene. Especially, really uh, spe- It's funny, but especially for me, I have this, I won't go into the details, but for kind of a cleanse in high school, a liver cleanse, I had to drink a cup of uh, olive oil and it kind of like flushes out the system and yeah, i've heard that that's gross um i don't recommend it i have a strong stomach and i and i i don't mean to brag but like, like i just like don't throw up a lot um but that was i'll remember that day uh specifically that moment for the rest of my life so to see uh lardass hogan chug a whole thing of castor oil similar type of viscosity uh it reaches uh, it it taps into a part of me that will always react and that's i mean uh to bring it back to stephen king indicative of a lot of his work where he just like he knows how to tap into the gross things the scary things the meaningful things visceral yes that's the right word uh yeah what a great scene i think i I don't know it it feels like a scene that other directors would have cut out of the story just because even though it does speak to Gordy's talent, uh, burgeoning talent, uh, that he's going to be one day become a writer, it is another diversion, just like the Stud City is. So to make it meaningful within the movie and funny, but also I think the most important part of that scene, which takes place in both the novella and the book, is that after that, Teddy and Vern are like, so... <laughs> what yeah. what's next and then yeah. 
Gordy's like, what do you mean? That's the end. The end means that we don't know what's next. And they're like, yeah. oh, and they're disappointed. And that's the allegory of the whole film. Like, that's life. You know, we're thrust from this carefree, adventurous moment into the harsh truths of the real world that like life goes on after that. Like maybe Hogan will have to deal with the repercussions of that. Where in the story, he'll always be the victor who got their revenge. So yeah, it it speaks to that that somber tone of, of both the novella and the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um I like it. I think in the movie, yeah, it I mean it also helps remind us that he's gonna be a writer because they definitely harp it, you're a lot more aware of that when you're reading it. Because that's, like, kind of the point, I guess. In the book, I think it, like, serves a different purpose. Because, like you said, I guess in Stud City, we see him kind of wrestling with um, his brother's death, I guess. Um, And then I I think, though, in, like, this one, this is an earlier story he wrote. And it's more of him, like, just trying to work through his emotions through story of, like, Mm -hmm. this kid that, like, no one likes and, like, how he's going to... try to like take control of his own life which i think is what he's trying to do in the story um and then but the the other kids that aren't chris does because chris is like supposed to be like the same as him but the other two don't understand because that's not really where their head's at i guess Mm -hmm. um and so i think the whole point of the book is about him the author learning through life how to work through this stuff that happened in like in the beginning in that that story it's so far removed from reality until Mm -hmm. like he finally learns in the this book to write full reality um of just like his experience as a kid um so i think in the book it's like a different purpose but i think in the movie it works more than the stud city would have because like it gives you more information about him as a character in the writing and it also is just like another moment of like childhood with like telling Mm. stories you know with your friends like that's just like a thing like a vignette kind of thing um Mm -hmm. so it can serve a lot of purposes and i'm I'm glad they kept that story for the movie because i think it adds another flavor especially because it shows the story parts of it and not just like tells you so it brings you to another world and they they kind of do some cool stuff too with like it feels very like dreamlike with the way it's shot and yes. like yeah. the audience. So like, I think they probably, Rob Reiner probably especially had a lot of fun with shooting that because he got to do something different there too. For sure. Yeah. You can get away with being bombastic and mm. wacky and fun. And yeah, the lighting, the cinematography definitely does reflect that where it's hazy and a lot of the outside light is, is blown out. Um, mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I like that in the book and the movie, it translates that that's kind of the moment where it's like Gordy sort of realizes he's different than Mm. both of them and that like he's not really as close with them as he thought or maybe like they just don't see the same things in life because that's the scene right after where Chris and him are talking and Chris is like, you're you can't be friends with them forever because they're gonna like drown you basically yeah and i think that just shows it both in the book and the movie when like they just don't understand like they just don't understand like um i think it's teddy's the one who always wants him to tell the certain like story and so he's always like oh that's fine but like what about this one that i like like it's not really about 
Gordy telling the stories that he writes. It's about them yeah. getting the entertainment out of Gordy. Mm. And I think Chris is really the only one that truly understands, like, mm. why Gordy writes. So I think it's interesting that they translated that, I think, in different ways in the novella and in the movie. But that it still, like, comes out the same in both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point because it's it gives Chris an opportunity to like tell Gordy like you have this skill that's going to get you out of this town and it's like tragically realistic for him to be like I'm not going to escape. Like look what happened mm. with this teacher. Like no one believes in me. And then he kind of t- cuz he knows that Gordy's parents aren't him for, aren't there for him. He's like he sort of falls on his own sword and he's like you have this skill. You know, I I want to give you the like the confidence that I have in you to like escape, and oh, it's just such a tragic moment. But it but you're totally right. It comes from that moment of storytelling. Yeah, and that acting and that especially that scene is so good. That I don't want to be a writer. It's stupid. It's a stupid waste of time. Bullshit. Mm. Bull true. Yeah, that's really. <laughs> yeah, that's a class. That was funny. Yeah. I was yeah. dying when he said that. Yeah, and I think even though the movie is more focused on Gordy, I think it more emphasizes Chris's growth after this whole ordeal because a big change is that when they find the body and they're confronted by the gang, Ace and the gang, Mm -hmm. in the novella, it is Gordy who is standing his ground and Chris who finally holds the gun up to the gang and that's reversed mm-hmm. um, in the film. So I think in Chris's life, he has never had the opportunity to stand up to anyone. He's always been held back by what people know about his family and, and him specifically. And so this is him overcoming that, finally getting a word in yeah. and trying to control his own destiny. And then it is Gordy who is the one with the gun. And that act of essentially saving chris now chris realizes it's another thing chris has never had anyone stand up for him mm-hmm. he's never stood up for himself and he has never had anyone stand up for him and mm-hmm. so now he's had both these th- things happen in succession mm-hmm. and you can believe that after this moment chris starts to get his act together and, and studies with gordy and and makes it out um of the town just mm-hmm. like gordy does it, you know he, he doesn't go to those shop classes he takes the the college courses so which uh, makes it all the more tragic that he's the only yeah. one in the movie that um passes away young mm-hmm. tragically yeah. yeah i mean it's foreshadowed too in the beginning with the yankee hat scene too like so i think yeah. they give a nice payoff there too because it's like you really want them to like get that hat back and like win the fight and then they mm-hmm. w- make you wait till the very end mm. um and then they finally stand up for themselves so that's it's a nice payoff there too yeah for sure because they can't stand up he he's basically just like it's not worth it um Mm -hmm. and and i think that's probably too because like he's not aware he might not be aware of the significance of the hat like if he was he might have like dug his heels in a little bit more but i feel like as they've gone on this trip they've gotten closer and they both understand like what's pivotally important to each other and so like that line gets drawn really quickly and they can like defend each other rather than just being like there's no way we're gonna like stand up to these older kids yeah eyeball chambers ace merle charlie hogan yeah 
Oh, I just I just made that connection. There's a Charlie Hogan character and then Lardass Hogan. Maybe that's where. Oh, maybe. Yeah, that's where I I noticed that when I watched the movie, I was like, oh, the last name. So like taking oh. the taking that from real life, which is definitely true. I mean, Stephen yeah. King does that all the time. Like he yeah. takes everything from some yeah, things from his life. Oh, so I, you I was, teed us up yeah, well, totally Noah. Teed us up. So I was gonna say that there. I love reading Stephen King's novels. It's kind of like watching a Tarantino movie where like oh that's from that other movie like they happen in the same universe right so like the the book mentions dairy which is where it takes place um dairy maine not the milk yeah right Mm -hmm. uh or dairy new hampshire you know a lot of dairies and or dairy new hampshire (laughs) (laughs) gotta keep keep Um, track i thought it was kind of fun that there was a rabid dog because that made me think of cujo which is another one of my favorite well they meant they mentioned yeah the crazy yeah the crazy dog. Yeah, they mentioned it by name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then they also mentioned Shawshank Prison. I just love when he puts Easter eggs in there because it makes me feel like. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I love that. He's yeah. like giving you a little something for be- reading his other books, but like it doesn't take away from if you haven't, but it just makes it a little cooler. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. there's a there's an it moment in eleven twenty two sixty three where the character goes and visits Derry, Maine. And I thought that that moment was perfect like you were saying like it doesn't take away from the storyline but you're like oh that still supports uh-huh. what he's writing about right now in 1122 about like haunted places like like places that have dark energy but yeah i love that i think what's so interesting about stephen king so this is another kind of like not specifically related to this book but he's so good at writing that like for example i was visiting my uncle recently and i was telling him to read 112263 because and i kept saying like it's not a horror book it's about time travel and it's about kind of this character changing and learning and stuff but like stephen king is so well known for his horror but like this is such a great example of how he can just write very grounded mm-hmm. fiction like there's nothing scientific science fiction about this novel at all yeah and it's still like it's so real but then you read something like 1122 or well misery is very similar where it's like a dark storyline it's not based in anything science fiction but then you go read Cujo or Carrie or Christine or The Shining and there he seems to get this like grounded character out of all of his novels like I just don't know how he does it he's so he's such a good writer Pet Cemetery. I think he doesn't I don't think he sees a difference really like between horror mm. and not horror like it's all real to him because um, mm. it's all just like in favor of like I don't know like that's what it feels like to me because I read this and I read The Shining and even though The Shining has like fantastical elements I think it all feels equally real mm-hmm. um, so I think he just sees it as like what is the best way to convey what I think what the story is about Um yeah. So like he's really good at that, like just like picking what the story needs and then using it mm-hmm. for his benefit. Yeah, yeah. I haven't read any of his son's stuff. Um, oh, the Black Phone though, his son wrote. Yeah, I watched um, the movie. Didn't did you? It, oh yeah, I think you said it in a past it. episode. It was pretty good. Um, you know, I wouldn't say pretty. I mean, here, I didn't really like the the, the actors, the kids' performances, which it sounds always mean to say, mm-hmm. but like that really hurt hurt it for me. I was like. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It doesn't, but it was interesting because it definitely was very Stephen King. Like you could tell, like it really felt like a Stephen King story, not in a bad way, but like I would want to read it because I think it's a really interesting 
premise and I made me want to read more of his stuff because it yeah. felt like a strong strong bones. So I don't know if it was as much like the move the, the story as more like I just didn't like the way that they directed it maybe, but I think the story itself felt really strong. So Interesting. Yeah, I'd be I'd be really interested to read some of his son's writing. Well, his son wrote um co-wrote in the tall grass the novella. Uh, uh, it's more of a short story than a novella, but it was adapted into a terrible Netflix movie uh, a few oh, years ago. Oh, I remember when that came out. I never watched it, but I it's, remember seeing about it. It's not good. Um, <laughs> it's really not good. And they do the thing that you should never do when adapting a short story, which they have the original story, right? And then they just like add to the the end of it. They just keep yeah. expanding it. And it's not organic. It's just like yeah. more stuff piled on. Yeah. That's just like nonsense. And you can tell like the exact point where like, mm. if you read the novella, this is where it ends. And then this is where it all, the movie goes to shit. Uh, yeah. Right. So. Right. You can tell when there was no source text to pull yeah. from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the, the movie wisely is just the novella and yeah. nothing more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, with that, let's get to our final thoughts. Kayla and Noah, take it away if you have any before we get to our final ratings. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I, I like both, I feel like. Um, I think I like the movie a little bit more than I like the novella. Uh, but I think that it translates really well, like surprisingly well. I, I, I just think sometimes it's so hard for people to translate um books in to movies which i'm sure you guys know um and we've talked about on our podcast Mm -hmm. and so i just think that it's always really impressive when i feel like it's done right and it actually makes sense and you're not watching the movie after reading the book and being like oh good god like (laughs) they just totally fucked the whole thing or like lost this aspect of it or completely cut out this scene and maybe it helps that it's a novella so it's shorter so you know it's not like you're having to trim a 600 page book into a hour and a half movie but i do think that it stays very true to the source material and then the stuff that they do add or the stuff that they do change changes for the better that it's not Mm. like it changes to and you're thinking that that change is not good or it doesn't translate i think just overall as a whole comparing the two that it works very well totally agree yeah noah yeah i think um what's interesting is i think it's such an interesting adaption because i on the surface it feels so truthful like i think there's some passages that feel or not there's some scenes and dialogue and things that feel like they're just like copy pasted from the book basically mm-hmm. um so it feels really truthful in that way but i do think they actually like when you are when we're talking about them and like in this discussion they're after very different things i think um where like the book is i like the book more not i that i don't like the movie but i just like really like the novella um I think the novella is a lot more cynical because it's about the author in present day realizing the significance of the moment when it's too late, where mm. the movie is about them realizing 
this the significance is then because it's in because it's a movie and you're seeing these characters go through this it feels like more heartwarming in that sense because you're seeing them make these changes but in the book when you're reading it it's a lot more just like he's realizing it now and just looking back on these moments after i mean in the book in the book's case all three of these people have died mm-hmm. um and i think there's other like elements of the book too where like how they he kind of describes how each of them got like beat up afterwards um mm-hmm. like brutally after that which i guess kind of like you expect it to end like his story but it keeps going and life keeps going and every and it's like yeah real like i said really a cynical book um but they took that and the movie just does such a different thing with it and i think that's cool because it's like you can watch both in well you can read one and watch the other and you aren't disappointed because it's like i think some people you know just they they don't like when their favorite stuff's taken out which is which is i can understand but i think they were able to subtly change some things or even in the fact that it's shot in Oregon, Oregon, like in not New England where New England, he has, su- he's put Stephen King has put such like a evil around the New England. Mm. Setting. So just mm-hmm. translating it out of yeah. New England, I think does a lot for it too. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're able to like change these subtle things to give it their own spin on it, which is um, smart because like you said, he loves this. Stephen King loves this adaption. Um, but he usually hates when people change his movies. Like The Shining, he hated because <laughs> Stanley Kubrick just had a different interpretation of it. But in this case, I think Rob Reiner might have had a different interpretation too, but he also knew how to do it in a way that was like, but he won't be mad at me if I change it like this. Yeah. Um yeah. I'm not I'm not saying like the shining is bad. It's just like it's interesting, like I think it might have been a slicker way of mm-hmm. like kind of tweaking a couple things to make it more of like because i think if it was as cynical as the book i don't think it would be as popular because like no one wants to wa- re-watch all these mo- a movie about like all these kids dying and getting beat up all the yeah. time you know so uh it's an i think it's a really interesting one to talk about and i'm glad we picked it because it's like a cool moment in time too of film with the 80s like we were talking about and stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i think yeah where the book is has that cynical edge the movie definitely kind of has a having your cake and eat it too type of ending where you have Mm -hmm. the heartwarming characters walking away with lessons learned but also you have that deeper stuff in the body of the movie oh the body Mm -hmm. that's a a pun not intended and that's too like the 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 body is such a dark title too because it's about the death where stand by me is about like friendship and camaraderie so like even from the titles, like the movie's trying to have a completely different outlook on it where the book is so focused on like the darkness of it. So that's also, I think in the title too, I was thinking, cause I was just wondering why they changed the title. Like I know there's the song, but like, there's gotta be a reason. I think that might've been it. Like the stand by yeah. me matches the tone so much more. Mm-hmm. That's actually what I was going to say. <laughs> so final thoughts. Um, I was going to say that perfectly, um, demonstrates, I think why they changed the title. So I won't restate it. Cause that's exactly what I was going to say. I personally like both equally. I think they're so mm. different and I, 
I think what, what really caught me off guard about, because I didn't know the movie was rated R, I think what mm. caught me off guard was how dark it was. Because I, I knew, even by the title, like you were saying, I was like, well, I know that this is a very kind of journey movie with kids. And I approached it in a lighthearted way. Even though I had read the novel, I knew it was going to be pretty dark. And I was assuming they weren't going to change the whole, like the reason they were going on this journey. Um, but I think it still surprised me with how dark it is. And we've talked about this on the podcast in the past about how we like when young, um, or like source material that's directed at a young audience takes a very serious look at how young children's lives can be. Like that's, that's something that I like about both the book and the movie is like, it doesn't shy away from the fact that these kids had really rough lives. And like we talked about earlier, like very clearly children go through stuff like this. They go through parental abuse and neglect and sexual abuse. Like, like children go through really dark things. And I think to be able to represent that in a mature way and not lose sight of the fact that it's also like, there can be some joy in Mm -hmm. that and joy that they find within each other. I think like, these pieces strike the perfect tone for me. So that's why yeah. I'm a fan of both the book and the movie. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, I co-sign what everyone has said. Yeah. My only other final thought is love the movie, but if you're going to put Richard Dreyfus in your film, give him more than two minutes of screen <laughs> oh, <okay>. time. <laughs> He's Richard Dreyfus. All right, final ratings. Let's go around the circle. Noah, you start. Do we do 0.5s or just even numbers? Out of uh, we can do 0.5s, yeah. All right. Because I'll give the book a 3.5 and the movie a 3 then out of 4. Because mm-hmm. like I said, I like the book a little better, but I think um, they're both really good. And uh, yeah, like you said, I think if I ever have kids, this is definitely one I'd want to show them. Because like, it does, yeah. I think, represent that experience really well. And like maturely too. So yeah, mm-hmm. I like it. Definitely. Kayla, you have a sinister look of content yeah, on your I'm face. Yeah, I'm trying to just think. I'm trying to think in my brain on like a four number scale. Like yeah, how four, I'm not, we're not, I'm not used to rating I'm on a four, so four, I just got like. So I, I'm trying to like mathematically convert in my brain. It's the Roger Ebert be. scale. Guys. Exactly, Noah. Yeah. Great, great, uh, great pull because yeah, I've always, I from a young age, I was obsessed with Roger Ebert and like he kind of created that four mm-hmm. star scale. Or he didn't create it, but he popularized it. And then Letterboxd comes around with the five star. Uh, And now, of course, I'm used to that too. So yeah, I I struggle sometimes converting back and forth. But yeah, out of four on this pod. So what's your... Yeah, I think I would give the movie a three out of four. And then I think I would give the book a 2.75 out of four <laughs> like so under the three in the seven five like i think it's right behind the movie for me unless i like put the movie at a 3.25 and then put the book <laughs> at a three but i feel like there's only like a quarter of a difference for me between the gotcha. two yeah but i like the movie marginally better so it's like mm-hmm. i like them both is my final thought mm-hmm. heard understood heard chef <laughs> Yes, chef. Yes, chef. You watching the bear at all? Nah, we got to end this. Okay, okay go. Ahead. Um, so I, uh, let me think. I I really loved the movie. I'm I'm gonna say four out of four on the movie because I just had a I'd never seen it before. I had a great time watching it. It it was really 
raw and real and I really enjoyed it. So I'm going to say four to four. Um, the novella, I feel like if I, if I just rate it on its own, Stephen King's writing is so much better than like anyone else's writing. I'm such a huge super fan of his that like if I, if it was a standalone book, I might say four out of four, but because I'm tempted to rate it against his other stuff, mm. I'm going to knock it a little bit because I, I like, I don't like it as much. I don't think like it raises to the level of like The Shining or Misery, yeah, that's which fair. are some of like my favorite books in the world. So I'm going to say the 3.5 because I really like it, but compared to his other stuff, it's like maybe not his best. Yeah. Mm. No, agreed. Yeah, I, I'm completely mirror your ratings i have the exact same ones 3.5 for the novella four for the movie as we've come to realize a lot from this podcast even great books just by being visualized and being put in front of you are elevated just by virtue of, of being on the visual medium as opposed to the literary so i think that's the case here it's not stephen king's best but reading stephen king is an elevated elite. type, uh, an elite type of literature, um, in our opinion. So, yeah, 3.5. I think the only knock on it is that Stud City part, which I get what he's going for, but it is quite the diversion. Kill some momentum. All right. Sure. Well, yeah. So, those are our ratings. Um, final plugs. Yeah, where Noah can people and Kayla. find you? And yes. what do you have upcoming? Wow. Cool. So some upcoming stuff. Um, if you want to hear us talk about more book to movie stuff, we'll have recently put out a Jane Austen episode um, that you can listen to or listen to our previous episode with you guys. Um, but today that, that this episode drops, um, Noah, do you want to share what our episode is going to be? I would love to. Uh, so this is this summer we're doing we're going through Wes Anderson's film filmography in a series of four episodes. Um, so this is the third episode of four where we cover Moonrise Kingdom, the Grand Budapest Hotel, and Fantastic Mr. Did I miss Fox. One? Oh yeah, Fantastic Mr. Fox because nice. that one's first. So Fantastic nice. Mr. Fox, Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Budapest Hotel. Those three. Yeah, and those are three of my like favorites. So yeah, those are recorded it yet, but I know that's gonna too. be a good episode. So <laughs> yeah. definitely check that out because I'm very excited. Um, yeah. and you can check out also like the other episodes in that series too if you want to. Like, They're really good. They're super fun. Context. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we so love, that's just... it's a great. It, he's a great director. So we just like talking about. Yeah. All of his yeah. movies. Yeah. So you can just search secondhand film critics on mm -hmm. any like podcast streaming platform, and we'll come up will be the top search since we're the only secondhand film critics out there i hope so that would be I hope. That would as be of rough. now as of now man um, yeah another thing i was gonna encourage people to interact with your questions of the week because they're oh. super fun um danny you always read danny's um answers and i get a kick out that's the only reason why i listen as soon as you <laughs> read my answer i'm like and i'm out <laughs> yeah, instead of skipping ahead like you tell people to do if they don't want to hear the answers, Danny's like, I'm done right after I you. Let me look at the timestamp to see when I can <laughs> yeah. stop listening. Well, we exactly. appreciate that you answer answer the questions because like yeah it gives us you content. and there's one or two other well, people that are consistent every week so likewise well i know that i could do better but honestly like a lot of your questions i don't have answers to like you asked her recently um do you like thor better before or after uh, ragnarok and i was like 
damn it, I can't answer that one. I can't, I don't have a good answer. But anyway, those are really fun questions. So we encourage people to go interact with you and you'll get shouted out on a podcast if you like that happening. Yeah, it always feels good true. to get a little pat on the back. I'm <laughs> in it for the shout outs. I need the attention for people just to say my name. Yeah. Yes. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on the pod, Noah and Kayla. Long time coming. So we appreciate your time uh, so much. So thank you. Wow. Thank you. Thanks for having us on the pod. And we hope to have you on uh, again sometime in the future. We hope you'll invite us back, even though we talked for way too long on yours. I, I like okay. being. My- it was a hefty episode. Too. Yes. We, we really. We went we, for we it. We dove in. We definitely, yeah, we reached for the stars and... We covered like we, 20 movies, right? We, it, or top three. We did and books. We did top four, oh yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we covered 40 so pieces 16. of media in that episode. <laughs> we wow. We set ourselves up for a short episode there, but it was really fun, so... We it's love just, that. Yeah, yeah. It's fun to go to get together with you two. Yeah. All righty. Well, thanks for listening, gang, and we'll see you on the next one. Yeah. <laughs>